right now the belief is that at least some part of this has to do with THC vaping, and then we have this other collection of products for which no clear patterns emerged. Vaping. This week, the Trump administration has banned the sale of flavored vapes in the USA. The reason for that is the sudden rash of pulmonary disease linked to vaping that the Centers for Disease Control have started to investigate. Some of those cases have been very severe and have included deaths. But the mechanism by which vaping might be causing damage to the lungs is yet unclear and is hampered by the heterogeneous nature of the compounds involved and the mechanism of delivery. I'm Duncan Jarvis, Multimedia Editor for the BMJ, and to find out more, I talked to David Hammond, Professor in the School of Public Health and Health Systems at the University of Waterloo in Canada, and author of a recent editorial about vaping. David, uh, you've written this editorial for us in the BMJ. Um, is this is uh, vaping something you've been keeping an eye on for a while? Yes, we've been following vaping for, well, most of the decade that these products have been on the market, both from the standpoint of understanding who's vaping, trends in vaping, uh, vaping as a harm reduction tool for smokers, as well as, um, you know, how it relates to different types of products used among kids. Hmm. And um, you've been keeping an eye on this, and I know we have in the UK, um, people have been concerned because we're not sure what's actually within the the liquids that people are vaping. But it seems that suddenly there are these um, 450-odd cases of severe pulmonary disease uh, that have been identified in the US. Um, That seems to have come slightly out of nowhere. Has it, or, or is it just that we've not paid attention? Well, it's possible that there were cases like this before that just weren't there in sufficient numbers to be detectable. But it really suggests that what we're seeing in the U.S. is something to do with a contaminant. So, you know, there are similar prevalences of vaping in Canada and in England as there are in the U.S. If this was a general effect of long-term vaping, A, we probably wouldn't see it in in as many young people like 19-year-olds as we've seen. B, we would expect to see those cases more distributed over time uh, rather than, you know, hit us so quickly. And C, we would expect to see some of these cases in other countries. Um, And we, there's no, as far as I'm aware, reported cases in countries outside of the U.S. Several countries have issued advisories. So what this suggests is this isn't a reflection of the general effect of vaping. This is something to do with a contaminant that is causing acute uh, illness. Mm. And um, within those cases, there have also been several deaths. Now, Mm. a contaminant you would think we would be able to pull this back to maybe some supply chain issue, pull you know the data together and actually look at the, the reason for that. Is that something that's happened? Is that something that's ongoing? It's certainly something that, that they're trying to do. So they've gone to many of these patients and asked them what products they've used. And um, the, the challenge is, and, and really what this reflects, is the incredible diversity. So we use the term vaping. Vaping is a mode of delivery. It's like saying pill taking. Well, it doesn't tell you what actual pill or, or, or substance you're taking. And uh, what we know is there's a wide variety of nicotine-containing e-cigarettes, as we typically call them. Um, some users modify the device. 
all sorts of different flavors. I mean, there are literally thousands of flavors on the market. In addition to that, we have vaping of other drugs, uh, notably cannabis or THC. Mm, mm. Um, and and as you will know, um, a fair number of these cases have been attributed to vaping THC oils. So there are other cases that uh, where the patients have said, no, I was using a nicotine. So it's not boiled down to something that simple. But um, right now, the belief is that at least some part of this has to do with THC vaping. And then we have this other collection of products for which no clear patterns emerged. Mm. And is there any sort of demographic data that we have about the people being affected that might um, help well, I, the answer is, is I think we're, as you said, we're now, I think, up to or, or maybe just past about 500 severe cases. And you'll see the full range of, of demographic profile there. Um, some of it, certainly in the early going, definitely skewed younger. At one point, the median age was 19-year-olds. Uh, that partly reflects just that that's uh, the age group among whom vaping is most popular. Mm -hmm. And that would probably be particularly true for vaping THC products. So it might say uh, more about just the profile of the user than anything specific about um, about the illness or the contaminant. Mm. And at the moment, all these cases seem to be within the, the US. And they have a different regime there for uh, regulation of vaping vaping products than than we have in in Europe and in Canada. They do and and you know whether we're talking about THC or nicotine what what this highlights is the importance of having basic product standards. Whether you're pro anti vaping, bottom line is these products are being used by millions of people and consumers should have some confidence that they don't have uh, these toxic contaminants in their products. But as you say, um, there is a fair amount of voluntary standards that are in use in England. Um, there are European-wide standards that apply to England. In Canada, we do have testing reporting standards, but they actually haven't been fully implemented uh, yet. In the US, they have a very complicated process where they are in the midst of what they call deeming regulations, which is to say, um, approving e-cigarettes that are on the market. That hasn't happened yet. It's very controversial. But clearly this whole issue uh, and the increase in youth vaping have um, led to calls and, and moves to accelerate that process so that there are some basic standards that are applied to these products. Mm. And it's slightly ironic that the industry was pushing back against regulation. And yet now we're in a situation where the lack of regulation may have yeah. contributed to to this disease outbreak and and potentially the deaths, and we're in a situation where the government has uh, decided to to ban. Well, it's a it's it's a very good point, and you know, there in the pro vaping community, which obviously includes many folks and and health groups. Um, on the one hand, some people suggest that, well, if you overregulate this product, it's going to stifle innovation and that we probably wouldn't have ended up with the products that many smokers are using to help them quit today if it was too uh, heavily regulated. The flip side of that is to say that, look, this is a thriving recreational drug market. And yes, uh, many people are using it for for to quit smoking and, and therapeutic reasons. There are many people, especially in North America and young people that are using this as a recreational drug. And, you know, some of this industry developed as a cottage industry. It's now dominated by big, um, you know, multinational companies. But 
maybe the there is a price for selling recreational drugs widely and that price is that there's some level of regulation and some level of product testing and standards because as you suggest whether it's thc or nicotine um, the blowback from the lack of regulations can cause a much uh, heavier response than um, than i think most people would prefer yeah absolutely um now, in the UK, we have a sort of public health message. You, you can see it when you walk past uh, uh, vaping shops based on the idea that vaping is safer than smoking. I think the, the figure is like 80% safer, whatever that means. Now, at the time that that was come up with, you know, we hadn't seen any of these cases. So I wonder, what do you, do you feel about that? Do you think the sort of precautionary principle has kicked in at this point or, 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 or that kind of thing has to change? I, I don't think it changes the overall equation. Again, I think, look, this is a reminder that vaping is a mode of delivery, that you're inhaling chemicals in your lungs, and most e-cigarettes produce potentially toxic chemicals, depending on what product you're using and how you use it. Um, that should be a reminder, because there are, especially among young people in North America, the belief that this is this is harmless. And um, as we've seen in this case, you can have products that are safe to ingest orally through food and other things that as soon as you heat them and inhale them, it's a different case. So it's a reminder that we're talking about inhaling chemicals. Um, but this is what I would refer to as excess risk. This is a contaminant in the way that you can have contaminants in food supply. It doesn't mean that those food types are... Um, have the same level of risk. Look, I, you hear numbers thrown around like 95% less harmful. What I'm about to say sounds horribly unscientific, but I feel it's about as good as we can get, which is to say that um, vaping and e-cigarettes are substantially less harmful than smoking. Virtually every public health authority agrees now, but they're likely to be harmful. Now, is that 95% less harmful or 90 or 80 or 85? We don't know. And anyone who throws a number out there, I would suggest, is, is engaging in pseudo-precision. Unfortunately, we're going to need 10 or 20 years of epidemiology because most of the health risks would be expected to be chronic disease. And even for something as uh, harmful as tobacco use, it takes 10, 20, 30 years before you see those effects. So, um, you know, much less harmful than smoking, but likely to be harmful. And, and what we're seeing is a I don't want to call it an aberration because that, that would seem to demean its importance, but we're talking about a different excess risk that really shouldn't be in any of these products. Mm. And, um, you know, on that, I mean, we published Richard Doll's paper um, linking smoking to cancer, mm. and that was an enormous prospective study that, that yeah. carried on for years and years and years. Do you know of anything that's going on that we're already putting in place to to actually properly look at the effects of yeah. vaping on, on, on our lungs? You know, that's an excellent question. And as many of your listeners will know, the, the history of the epidemiology around tobacco-related disease is a fascinating one for all sorts of reasons. Um, but even at something at that level of relative risk, as you say, still took very large studies and it was debated for, for several decades. So do we have anything like that for e-cigarettes and vaping? One of the problems we've had is that we don't have the types of um, measures in many population surveys to sufficiently assess vaping. I think that's starting to change so that in 10, 20, 30 years, we'll know who was a vapor and how much. Um, so, I mean, that's one consideration. Another challenge is that 
among adults at least, most of the folks who vape were either uh, former or current smokers. That's going to muddy the waters mm. in terms of uh, the epidemiology. But I suppose the the good and bad news is that we now, at least in North America, have enough young people that are taking it up that we will have a, a non-smoking cohort where we can um, hopefully look back in 10 or 20 years and hopefully conclude that the risks, uh, whatever they may be, are, are you know, minimal. Great. David, thank you so much for, for taking some time to talk to me. My pleasure. David's editorial, Outbreak of Pulmonary Disease Linked to Vaping, is now available on bmj.com. As is all of our other content on vaping, some of which sets up the evidence that David described there. That's it for this episode. But we've just seen the publication of Yellowhammer outlining a potential outcome of a no-deal Brexit. So we'll be hearing more about what that means for health and the NHS. We're on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. And we come out regularly to keep you updated on the world of medicine. So until then, I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.